OCO. Hello, my name is Greg Bainey, pastor and founder of Woodlands Gathering. You are listening to the Sacred Wonder Podcast. Sacred Wonder is a ministry of Woodlands Gathering Church, located in Soddy Daisy, Tennessee. Please listen carefully and prayerfully, and thank you for joining us. Hello, you are listening to the Sacred Wonder Podcast, and I am your host, Greg Bainey. If you are listening and identify as a Native American and have questions or issues that you would like for us to explore, send me an email at sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com. We have been discussing the relationship between humanity and the rest of creation. Last week, we learned that much like the fish in a fish tank, we are not separate from creation, and even our smallest actions invariably impact the rest of creation. Today, we will explore what is one of the central distinctives of the Christian religion, the notion that Creator chose to become creation to reestablish the peace and harmony that resulted from our disobedience. This act of becoming part of creation is known as the Incarnation and entails the birth of Jesus to a young girl named Mary when she was still a virgin. Jesus lived in the first century AD in a region known as Palestine. He was born in Judea, a south-central part of Palestine, and lived for a period in Egypt as a political refugee, then lived during the most formative years of his life in Nazareth, a small village to the north of Judea in the region known as Galilee. In the first four books of the New Testament, books which are collectively known as the Four Gospels, we are given the historical account of Jesus' life and ministry. We are also provided insight into his own understanding of self and God's mission. One very important note, Jesus was indigenous to the Middle East, and as a member of an agrarian society, he understood life in terms that were reflective of his cultural setting. So what did Jesus say about himself? In John chapter 5, verse 19, we read the following. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son, speaking of himself, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Earlier in John's Gospel, John, one of his followers, declared, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 and 14. So it is apparent that Jesus saw himself as the Son of God, and this means, according to his follower John, that he saw himself as the Creator who became part of his creation. Now, this begs the question, why? Why would the Creator become creation? One of the best-known Bible verses, and probably most frequently misunderstood, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Here, Jesus states that out of love for his creation, creator became part of his creation. Interestingly enough, the Greek word translated into English as world is the word cosmos, meaning the universe. Now, how many times have you heard this verse and were taught to individualize it? For God so loved me, an individual, that he sent his son. Now, obviously, individuals are part of the cosmos, but the worldview that reads this verse and walks away with an individualized interpretation is foreign to the understanding of the Bible. One of the most distinct characteristics of the Western European worldview 
his individualism. Thus, for those who come from this worldview, everything in Scripture is often seen from the vantage point of the individual. Nothing could be further from the reference point of the authors of Scripture. They wrote from the vantage point of the community, not the individual. Now, God does, at the very least, love every individual, but he also loves the entire cosmos. And the object of his saving work is all of creation. So, what exactly does it mean to be saved? If Creator became part of his creation to save his creation, what did he save us from? We know from the verse mentioned earlier that all who put their faith in him will not perish. But what does that mean? Should we immediately think of hell and the eternal place of torment? Well, the purpose of today's episode is not to discuss the nature of hell, but rather to better understand the act of the Incarnation, the act whereby the Creator became part of his creation to save it. What reason did Jesus give for his Incarnation? In John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Jesus says the following, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Christ, being part of an agrarian society, often chose to teach using metaphors from nature. He is using the analogy of a sheep and shepherd to demonstrate his reason for being. Let's look more closely at two things he mentions. One, those who believe in him or enter through him will find pasture. And two, he came to give abundant life. In other words, Jesus understood his reason for being as well as his reason for dying unjustly at the hands of the Romans to be that of giving sustenance and causing to flourish all who follow him. He came to restore the peace and harmony that Creator intended for all of creation. The big question is, is this peace and harmony limited to mankind, or is it bigger than us, having meaning for the rest of the created world or the cosmos? In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, we have this statement concerning Christ Jesus. In these last days, Creator has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he opposed the universe by the word of his power. The word here translated as imprint is the same word translated before as image. So Christ, unlike Adam, is the exact image or imprint of God's nature since he is the creator. As the true image or imprint of God, he demonstrates through his life, death, and resurrection what the Creator desires for the rest of his creation. Here it is, in a nutshell, that the impact of the consequences of sin or disobedience be reversed and all creation restored to harmonic relationship with the Creator. Since humanity was created to be a co-creator or co-sustainer of creation and plunged the creation into chaos and disharmony as a result of disobeying the creator, only humanity could undo that which humanity had done. But it would take a special kind of humanity. It would take a human being who was both capable of death and decay, yet supremely resistant to disobedience. In other words, it would take the creator becoming part of his creation. This is great, but it still does not answer the question whether this restoration or salvation is just for humanity or the rest of creation. At the heart of the Incarnation, the act of the Creator becoming part of His creation is two things, which are actually one and the same. First, we see that during the life of Jesus, He interacted with the created world in a way that seemed to restore balance and harmony. 
Everywhere he went, people who were ill would come to him and he would heal them. Now, illness in most every culture is seen as part of the disharmony resulting from man's disobedience. For example, in the Cherokee culture, the origin of disease is attributed to man's greed. It is believed that man at some point in the distant past began killing more animals than he could possibly eat. And as a result, the animals called a council and decided to inflict sickness on humanity until they learned their lesson. The story goes that people became sick and began to die in great numbers until the plants took pity on them and offered themselves as medicine, thus restoring balance and harmony. So it is in the culture of the Bible. The Hebrews believed that sickness was a consequence of the disobedience of Adam. So when Christ went about healing the sick and raising the dead, he was proclaiming to those present that he had come to reverse the disharmony and consequence of man's original disobedience. That wasn't all. He also spoke to storms and brought calm and peace to troubled lakes, as we see in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4. And he turned water into wine at a wedding feast in John chapter 3. He was demonstrating what it looked like to have the peace and harmony of creation restored. Second, the climax of this demonstration was his own resurrection, his triumph over death itself, and his promise that all who follow him would begin to witness peace and harmony restored in their own lives. The fact that this restoration is just as comprehensive as the original imbalance is mentioned in Romans chapter 8 verses 19 through 24. It reads, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Note three things. First, all of creation is waiting eagerly for the day when humanity will fully experience a relational restoration with Creator. Second, the creation has been made to participate in the consequence of mankind's disobedience and currently groans under the disharmony of man's actions. Third and finally, just as Jesus rose from the dead after three days in the grave, so every human being shall be resurrected when Jesus returns to finish his restorative work. This is what salvation looks like. It is cosmic salvation. The next big question is, what do we do now? If all of this is true, what role do we play within the community of creation? How do we bring harmony and balance to the world around us? We will explore the answer to this question next week as we conclude our series on Creator and Creation. Thank you for listening. If you have questions or would like further clarification, please email me at sacredwonderpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we discuss how we are called to be like Jesus and restore the peace and harmony within the community of creation. Thank you.